And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi, Seb. Hi, Joe Devine. Jonathan Dog McKenzie. Hello, Joe Devine. And JJ Bull the Bullet. Hello. That's right, we're all here because it's semi-final number one. Of course, the game today was Croatia-Argentina and that's what we're here to discuss as well as a bit of Morocco ahead of tomorrow. And if there's time, which there probably will be because there's only been one game, we're going to talk about England and whether they have to have an English manager. What a, what a boring bit that is. But we're going to have the conversation anyway, because needs must in the media. Ugh. Anyway, have you had a nice day, JJ? Oh, yeah. What have you been doing? <laughs> I was in the building. Yeah. And I... Were well, you working on the super secret edit ahead of Christmas time? Oh. Yes, I am, yes. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about it without giving it away? It's uh, very um, secret. It is about a form of football, which is not... Of a uh, conventional <laughs> nature. Mm. And it's very nice. Yeah. Do you know what else is super secret about a form of football and very nice? The Athletic. It's The Athletic. Yes. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where, Seb, you can read such things as... Well, Joe, the thing that I've written tomorrow about uh, the crisis in Australia. Oh. You can't read that right now, but in about... Six, seven hours, it will be out and you can read it all about the, unfortunately, the civil war. It seems to have broken out in the football community. Oh. Interesting old story. Um, difficult one. And a little bit of a squandering of World Cup momentum going on down under. But yeah, that'll be out in a few hours. Do you ever feel that when you describe something that's not a civil war as a civil war, you are sort of making light of real civil wars? <laughs> No. No, he doesn't feel like no, that. Okay, cool. Like that. Anyway, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, <laughs> theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. But for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of the OG gang. Yes, Croatia nil. Three, Argentina. Turns out it was easier than we all thought. Uh, JJ Ball. How did Argentina beat them so apparently easily? They played very well. Right. Lionel Messi was obviously the difference. It turns out Croatia aren't that good after all, maybe. Right. Uh, the thing is, I can't, even though we've watched the game and we're meant to analyse it, I really can't remember anything that really Croatia <laughs> or Argentina did other than Argentina had the bounce of the ball. They were better at going back to forwards. They were breaking up play in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, they really seem to be aggressive. more aggressive from the beginning than they have been in previous games. Yeah, you said aggressive exactly the same time I did. That's one of the most oh. interesting things that they did. They were just snapping into them, making sure they couldn't keep the ball. We know that Croatia like to play through the midfield and keep the ball there, but they can't really get it into the last line. Mm. If they were, I mean, if you won, if you got goals for just keeping the ball, well, maybe they'd have got a goal. Yeah. But just snap into them, stopping them from playing, so they couldn't do anything with it. And then that last line of their defence wasn't able to... I don't know, the, the goal that Julian Alvarez scored, Julian Alvarez, I should say, it was almost like the ball was magnetised to his foot. No matter what he was doing, the ball would end up with him the entire time. Mm. 
and they were all. Just, I, they, you felt they were always going to win that. I had no doubts. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's probably Julian Alvarez, is it? That's what I'd say. I think you said Julian and then Yulian, but I think well, Yulian might be the sort of. Let like, me say what he wants. Hey, Julian, I'm going to go for both. No, it's fine. Tonight. I'm just curious. I'm just yeah. curious, interested. Um, listen, you're our off the ball. <laughs> Goblin King uh, uh, what do you think about it all off the ball like yeah I think that Argentina came out with a really good uh, approach to this game because they're we, as, as we know everyone talks about that midfield three they can keep the ball they can solve problems in the moment and I think that that the, the approach that Argentina had was that they were going to focus on those three in possession they weren't going to worry too much about the wide players that Croatia were, were, were using to get either side of the, the of a fairly narrow back four. Um, and they went, they just went aggressive into the midfield and they won the ball, I think, fairly high up the pitch. And then they knew the fact that Croatia were going to be slower in terms of getting back into a defensive shape. So they, they transitioned quite quickly. Um, the, so the Julian Alvarez goal, or Julian Alvarez, as some people call him. Or Julian um, Alvarez. Or Julian, but yeah. no one calls him that. No. Um, but that goal came from winning the ball high up, turning, well, winning the ball at the back, turning it over and getting up the field quickly mm. and finding that space in the Croatian back line. That so, goal was a bit crazy though, wasn't it, Seb? Like, it seemed like at any point it could have ricocheted off in a different direction, but it just kept going towards the goal. Yeah, he also made a really bad decision just before he scored it. Uh, there was a pass on to, I think, Talifico, um, to his left possibly, or might have been the other fullback, uh, Molina. And he got very, very fortunate because I think they were in three on two. And so had he hadn't passed it, had he hadn't, had that's he, not had he, words. Had he it? not passed it? Is that, is that, is that, a is that words? I mean, they are words. I don't know. They're words, but they shouldn't be put next to each other. Probably not. No. no. Anyway, got pretty You've fortunate. You've always been a rule breaker though, haven't I you? I am a renegade. Yeah. Uh, he got pretty fortunate. I mean, obviously there was a big ricochet in his favor and then uh, not the best bit of defending from Guardiola in the first place to allow yeah. the kind of the attack to develop. Um, and yeah, um, great finish though. Oh, lovely, I mean, lovely finish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's um, yeah, it's not a classic World Cup goal, but it's uh, yeah, a very, very important one and, and well taken. So well, yeah. Well, JJ Bull the Bullet, let's talk about Julian Alvarez. Uh, I can't remember if he scored four or five goals now in the tournament. I think it might be four. Um, he's great though, isn't he? What 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 is it exactly that he does so well? Because we we haven't seen loads of him for Manchester City, but you were pretty convinced after the summer transfer window that that he would have a good season. Yes, I watched lots of him play for River Plate. And he is multi-positional. He can play anywhere across that front line, but tends to, no matter where he starts, ends up in the central four position. But then, so basically it's positioning. He under, understands exactly when to be and where. It's like he's, it's like Messi's tuned into the game and what's happening. Mm. He's one of those players where they tend to turn up at the right place to score. So he gets loads of goals. But he's also really important in, the, in uh, the final third attacking phase. He'll create for a lot of players. Yeah. And often a lot of things he does is not involved directly with the ball, but he'll make a run that takes someone out of the way so that someone else can get through. Mm. He's a really clever footballer, but technically very, well, he's very gifted. So that you can see that those things combine and make him to a very exciting forward. I thought you'd get more games from Man City so far. And uh, Guardiola's tried to play him as a extra centre forward, but by starting him on the right, so it becomes that four four two shape that they often play. And I think we'll see more of him in the second half of the season. But we're still in the World Cup, I guess, so we'll stick with that. Yeah. But yeah, he's uh, he's uh, I think it's the mental attributes that make him much better. Like remember that like, Higuain would miss all these chances for Messi, it'd become a meme almost. Whereas Alvarez is not missing them because he's more composed, he's clinical, uh right place, right time, but also has the composure to score it. Whereas some other players maybe don't have that on the highest stage. 
he's doing that. He's quite young. I don't know how old he is, actually. Uh, I think he's, what, 22? 22. 22. And uh, so that's obviously a good sign. They've got a good number nine for a good few years. That'll help him out. Yeah. I, and yeah, I really like him. He's in my, in my fantasy football team that I don't pay attention to. Yes. Yeah, so from the very start. Yeah. Is he also, right? oh, on, no, I was just going to say, because one of the things that developed early in this tournament was Latoura Martinez turned up out of form. Yeah. And you wonder where Argentina would have been without Alvarez. Like, I know it's easy to kind of just look at Messi, but. Well, quite um, literally four goals worse off, right? It, potentially. It, well, potentially, yeah, because um, Martinez, I'm not sure where it came from because he looked quite sharp in the first game against Saudi Arabia, albeit with a few disallowed goals. But. Um, I don't think coming to this tournament, anyone would have seen him as a key man for Argentina. A, like a really, really excellent supporting act, sure, but like not necessarily someone who was going to, um, you know, define success or failure. And he's, he's been absolutely brilliant. And I see with Martinez as well, like one of the things that he does best is uh, off the ball stuff. So John probably loves him. So he's really good at helping with the press. Mm. And um, at, at Inter, he helps Romelu Lukaku when Lukaku's playing alongside him. He did a lot of the defensive work and benefited from then then having the ball more because he'd helped win it back in the first place. Mm. Whereas I think Alvarez is probably as good defensively, like he's really tactically tuned in, but he's just not as a kind of maybe aggressive in things he does or maybe doesn't seem that way. He's a one of those players who should be rated higher than he is. Not that he's, well, he, I'm saying he's underrated basically, yeah. Sure. Yeah. But like, I bet he's got like an 83 on FIFA and it should be much higher. Yeah. 85. It's one of those six. yet to catch up. Yes. Kind of opportunistic. Like I, I really like the third goal just because obviously the messy stuff that we'll probably deal with, but um, it's quite a nice attribute to just slide into that attacking position and be free and be able to capitalize on what like a feature forward is doing. I know Messi plays a little bit deeper now, but if you think about sort of the attributes needed not to necessarily lead a line, but just to take advantage of the fractures and the kind of displacement that a player like Messi inevitably creates, it's kind of perfect for that, right? And that's the third goal, which looks incredibly easy. It looks like the creation defense have completely um, switched off, but it's just really good movement too. Yeah, I'd like to take a little detour here because um, a few months ago, uh, John, you, you wrote um, the script for a, a TIFO Illustrated video that was called The, the, myth, the myth of South America. It was partly based around Julian Alvarez and the idea of elite European teams starting to go direct direct from source instead of, you know, South American players from Brazil or Argentina maybe taking a stepping stone club through Portugal or through, you know, a, a club um, slightly just under the elite level. Things seem to have changed a bit in the last couple of years, don't they? Yeah, I mean, the reason why clubs are more likely to go to South America now is because of the GB rules about uh, basically work immigration. So it, it's now much easier to bring in those players than... EU players so that's why that shift's happened um, but in the case of it's worth saying the, the reason why this myth of South America exists is because I actually think that it's, it's, it is pretty hard to bring players over from those kind of leagues and have them necessarily work out like being good in those leagues doesn't necessarily equate to being good in in some of the um, in some of the top European leagues so usually what happens is there's a stepping stone league that will, will be used Portugal's been used a lot for yeah. for example Brazilian players for obvious reasons and then you often see those players get get a move only after they've sort sure. of you know established themselves and there's plenty of players then who won't make that move as well um, but it's happening again more recently I think because there are just outlier players so there's a, there's a few that, that people will talk about so Vinicius Junior is a great example of that Gabriel Jesus yeah. Julian Alvarez himself now these players obviously very good players but these guys were a standout in their leagues they were ab absolutely crushing it mm. This wasn't just like someone being good in a league. This was like, this guy is generational talent. Um, so I think the clubs like, you know, the, the Real Madrid, obviously, we, we, we could talk about Endrick as well, who's a, a name that is starting to appear now. Um, 
clubs like Real Madrid, Manchester City are willing to take those kind of risks because one, they can afford the financial burden of like getting it wrong. Mm. Uh, but two, these these players are so out of this, you know, they're in a different stratosphere yeah. that that actually there's a good chance that they will perform to to the level that is expected of them. Nice. And I think that's proved to be the case with Julian Alvarez. Well, let's talk about Lionel Messi now. I put a little poll in the chat before we started. Uh, is Messi the best player of all time? Question mark and then goat emoji. Ninety-one <laughs> percent um, of people said yes. So it seems that at least in the TIFO live chat, it's pretty clear that they think Messi is the best player of all time. Now, the reason I ask that question is not because it's interesting in and of itself, uh, but because one of the big narratives around this World Cup, Seb, is that if Messi wins the World Cup mm -hmm. and gets that medal and the trophy, then that will cement him as the all-time greatest, you know, in the minds of, of many. Um, but it's, it seems kind of arbitrary given the number of other contributing factors to that happening. I'm not really sure. I mean, obviously, it's fantastic for a player to add a trophy uh, to their repertoire. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it, it's not really an indicator of that, even though it might appear that way to the people who are having the conversation. Yeah, because it's really difficult to draw a straight line between, for instance, what Messi would achieve by winning a World Cup and what Diego Maradona did, because you could easily argue that um, 86 Argentina was a far inferior team to this one. And Maradona really did drag that side to the world championship. Um, whereas if Messi does this, it's, it's, a, it's not the equal of that achievement. And yet it really has no effect on how Messi is viewed within his own era. Mm. Um, and it's also, I think the, the interesting way of looking at it is to invert it, to say, okay, so he doesn't say, so I think we settled a few years ago on the fact that he probably wouldn't. We kind of assumed that his time was gone in 2018 when they were eliminated by France. And so does that change anything that he achieved at club level? Does that alter or dampen the entertainment that he's provided? Does it... Um, I mean, the big thing with, with Messi and, and to be fair, Ronaldo as well yeah. was, as you've written before, was the excess goals, right? Like yeah. the, the, the number of goals is extraordinary and that's really what makes them different from players that came before them. Whether they're better or not is a different, different question. They've changed the expectation around dominance. Yeah. Like... In the past, the idea of being the very best player in the world was kind of ethereal. It was a very short moment in time. You're thinking of players like Ronaldinho or Kaká, for instance, Andrei Shevchenko. Like you rise up, you reach the apex of your career, and then you fade away and give way to other players to kind of take your place. And what you would typically have is a few players sort of um, swapping positions at the top of the game. In this era, you've had two players who have dominated a space and arguably, well, not even arguably, they have made it entirely their own and they've normalized a level of uh, attacking production and quality and excellence, which was um, in the televised era, can't speak for before that, it's very, very difficult to kind of, um, to get a proper perspective on what kind of um, pre-modern era was like. But in this era, uh, it's changed forever the way we'll look at the game because mm. We published a video on Illustrated about whether Mbappe and Holland are the next Messi and Ronaldo. And the answer is kind of no, because even if they match what they've done in this era, which is almost impossible, we've seen it before. And that's kind of what provides this sort of special alert to um, to kind of their their duopoly, I guess. It's pretty crazy, isn't it, when you think about it? Uh, you know, despite the fact, obviously, uh, Ronaldo is not the player that, that he once was, whereas Messi still seems to be performing at, the, at his best. 
Um, it's kind of crazy that both of them came along at the same time. That there was a good 10 years where there were two players who were doing things like pushing each other in a way that no one had ever done before. I mean, but that's part of it, isn't it? That they probably both exist at that level because the other one was driving them on to be the very best. Mm. And maybe if Messi hadn't had that challenge, he wouldn't have had it. And Ronaldo had that incredible drive to get to be even better than he possibly could have been. Like the, the things they achieved, the amount of goals they scored is is crazy. It looks like it's broken. If it was in a video game, I think it was unfair, unrealistic. It would need to be nerfed. Yeah. You know what's kind of amazing about it is that the great fortune of this era is that you had these players, but you also placed them either side of probably uh, the fiercest rivalry in the whole of club football. And so you had this kind of, these two players who played their, their positions in different ways, dominated in slightly different ways, but also seemed to represent different things on either side of that divide. Um, Ronaldo is kind of, um, during that peak, during his kind of imperial, uh, the imperial years of his career, he was um, typical of what you'd kind of associate with Real Madrid, the grandeur, the kind of the luster, all that stuff. Messi was in every way a um, the La Masia ideal. Uh, he wasn't obviously born in, in Catalonia, but um, he came to represent exactly what you thought of whenever you imagined the teachings of Barcelona's academy. And so you had, it was like a, 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 a kind of a division of culture as well. And it's it, it enriched the, the, the rivalry and it, it always will do. And so that's another factor in what comes next. You just can't place players in ideal situations like that. So it's it's a, it won't happen again. I think is what I'm saying. Shouldn't do. No. I was thinking about like the Maradona bit with 86 and how people have said to me in the past that that Argentina team wasn't actually that bad, that he carried all the way to the final and then won it. And if you look at the Argentina team, like the actual team, it's a lot of high-end average. Like there's not really standout players apart from Messi. Messi is by far and away the best player in the tournament, I would say. We look through the team, there's some solid players in there, but none who you would say... Like none of you instantly remember as being like, oh wow, he was he was some player. Like we'll for, we'll forget him. What's the guy at, Mar- at Man United? Martinez, Lissandro Martinez. Or we'll think of him in a few years and be like, ah oh, yeah, he was that guy. Mm-hmm. I think. Like not to say he's not a good player, but there are certain players in there that you can easily just forget, and they'll come up in that game where you try and remember a, t- a player you can't really remember in a few years' time. Whereas, yeah, I mean, these guys stay in your mind forever, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You don't sort of. In 10 years' time, you won't suddenly come across a clip and be like, oh, i got to remember him. What a good player he was. Like, Mr. Ronaldo will never be in that territory. Oh, right? yeah. But I was meaning more in, in terms of the Argentina team that he's oh, now. Oh, I see. Yeah. You, see like, you can see Maradona carried them to the final. To an extent, you could argue that Messi sort of carried them. Like, the goal that Alvarez scored was tapping that Messi made out of nowhere by suddenly having enough pace to beat a guy who's 15 years younger than him <laughs> yeah, down the yeah. line and then like turned them inside out and then got to the box. It's all Messi. And without a player like that, yeah. that goal doesn't doesn't get scored. That's what happens. So no, also the, also a player who's willing to take the risk and um, who thinks thinks he can do it, right? And then does it. I mean, it's like he it's, does it less and less now as well. No, no, it's, he... it's always audacious when it does happen, <laughs> isn't it? I wonder if he does it less because he's not quite got the same burst of speed that he once had. By today, I'm not sure that's true because he had it towards the end there. Maybe he needs to not do it so much in case his hamstrings go or something like that. It may yeah. also be that players he's playing up against are expecting it every single time. So the clever thing to do is not to do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's why when he does do it, it's such a, it's a surprise. incredible weapon. Yeah, they are surprising come right yeah. in. Yeah. It's um I always um I think about this thing. It was in um one of James Montague's TIFO videos, but it's the story of um in two thousand FIFA had this sort of awards ceremony for the for the century hmm. and they had like a bunch of awards that were um uh, voted for by the public and the big one was the best player of the century and it was a, obviously a competition between maradona and pele 
and Maradona absolutely wiped the floor with Pele when it came to the public vote. But because Pele was kind of the vision of of purity in football and didn't have uh, the sort of the, the sketchy cultural history in the same way that as Maradona did, FIFA created like another award that they just gave to Pele to make it seem much more even than it was. But I always find that funny. I, I think about it now we have this conversation because Maradona... Maradona is so influential, not just because of what he did on the pitch, but because of who he was, what he did afterwards, which, of course, uh, Messi and, and Ronaldo haven't had the opportunity to do yet. Um, but it, Maradona was it was a cultural phenomenon in a way that I don't think either Messi or Ronaldo really are. I think what's interesting about Maradona is he's always kind of, well, he was alive he was sort of surrounded by this, that, the idea of a, a fallen angel, like this incredibly gifted footballer um, who grew up and was kind of consumed by the game and celebrity and drugs and became embroiled with um, figures in organized crime when he was in, in when he was playing in Naples. Um, and so you have this kind of, uh, this notion of tragedy juxtaposed with just ridiculous quality. Mm. The other thing there is like, I, I feel a little bit sorry for, for Pelé in that regard because um one of the major differences between the two is that Maradona played in a more heavily te- televised era. And so you are able as a younger fan now, as someone not old enough to have seen Maradona play, to go on and, um, you know, to watch his goals. Or you yeah. can just go and watch that video of him juggling the football um, before, while warming up to play for Napoli. Um, whereas Pele, uh, he exists in sort of snippets and you just see the goals and um, it's very, very hard uh, because of the era in which he played, to feel, uh, or to have any sort of relatability to what he's doing. I was on Twitter uh, a few days ago, Joe, when news of Pele's illness sort of broke and people were wishing him well. And there's a there's a clip doing the rounds of him performing all the kind of tricks that are in regular rotation today and Pele doing them uh, first. So yeah. flick flack and kind of Rabonas and um, I'm sure there's a Traveller or two in there as well. And a lot of people were reacting with kind of astonishment, be like, oh my goodness, I you know, didn't know. And I think that kind of summarizes it, is that yeah. it really matters when you played. And yeah, yeah. and yeah. in the same way that it will do for Messi and Ronaldo too. Yeah, I was just going to, coming back to the, the Ronaldo-Messi debates, um, I think that there's a, a sense in which they have acquired like an added uh, heightened like meaning as well, because those two guys, they... they they both inhabit completely different ideological spaces as well, right? It's, it, and that's a, it's a a sort of dichotomy which exists all the way through football, right? This idea that you got Ronaldo on the one hand, who's like the 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 ubermensch, the guy who's like who has achieved what he has achieved through sheer determination and and in, insane athleticism, uh, and then you've got Messi on the other hand, who's who's got that more sort of like street vibe to him, um, the 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 sort of uh, Pibe like quality that you you get in obviously in Argentinian football, but I think that's partly why that the debates about those two have have gone on for so long because it's not just a debate about who's better yeah. between these two; it's a debate about what football is supposed to be. Right? Yeah. Is is football supposed to be something that has this genius quality that you, no one can really get their yeah. hands on, and which, which is what you see when you watch Messi, or is it is is football about working hard and getting to a level where People can't come close to you through sheer effort. Well, like, if you think about like goals that might be, they might be remembered for. I often think about um, the, you know, for example, and there are many of them, but Messi's goal that kind of emulates the Maradona World Cup mm-hmm. goal, where he dribbles all the way along the pitch and beats about seven people and then mm-hmm. just passes it past the goalkeeper. 
The one I think Ronaldo will be remembered for is the slow motion jump where he's, you know, twice the height of anybody else in the box. Uh, you know, the the the, the, you know, the one thousand frames per second one where he reaches like, oh, I don't yeah. know, yeah. fifteen foot or something super in the, the air. Event so you could try and reach yeah. the same height. And yeah. does the you know incredible uh, header and like I think they both kind of um they both sort of emphasize what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And okay. then you've got like Ronaldo doing the bicycle kick against Juventus, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like moments that are perfectly executed technically, yeah. which have obviously been rehearsed yeah. to the point that you know exactly how to do it. He was trying to score that goal about 10 weeks before he did it. He kept yeah. trying to do the overhead kick. You, could see, you see him trying different games. He's a muscle memory guy. Yeah, whereas when I think when I, when I think of goals that Ronaldo scored, I, I try and think of what they are, and then I can suddenly remember individual bits like that one, maybe that one. Whereas Messi, I can think of all the ones where he's dribbled past people. Yeah. And it's almost like a, a choice between goal moments and just moments in the middle of the pitch messages yeah. just things in the middle of the pitch that you get like I don't know how he's done that it's a sort of choose your poison affair isn't it yeah okay well uh, let's have a break and when we come back we will choose our poisons and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free hey Frank a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV what's little birdie was it Jimmy the Sparrow it's a figure of speech point is you can stream direct TV over the internet now oh sure next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people right <laughs> you mean airplanes stream direct TV without a satellite dish call 1-800-DIRECT-TV terms or restrictions apply Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Ah, yes, there we go. Now, that was uh, uh, messy. Croatia. Um, did we already talk about Croatia, John? What, 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 what did Croatia do wrong there? Were they just not as good as people thought? Or Well, it's hard to say, isn't it? Like In these sorts of tournaments, Croatia have a habit of, of playing in a way that almost defies understanding. Um, and they, they get through the game, it goes to penalties, and they win. Yeah. Um, and not it, today. It, it's happened enough times that the the questions are always going to be, you know, is there something to this? Is there some sustainable approach that's going on here? Um, and yeah, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think this time around, this tournament around, Croatia have been that good. They they obviously rely on their midfield. Their midfield can help them solve a huge amount of problems. Um, particularly in the moment, I think it's not like they have any sort of grand strategy. It's kind of they know they can hold the ball. They know they can um, they can count they can they're very press resistant so um, they can they can almost modify the tempo of the game as it's going along um, and then they take their moments when they come and they they have this experience of penalties which is is clearly uh, working out for them mm. um, but yeah I think it it just got to a point where you know. Argentina was was uh, maybe a, a bridge too far for them uh, this time around. What about Gvardiol though? Everyone's excited about him now. He's very young. He's a Croatian centre back. Uh, he, he appears to be on the radar of a number of elite teams around the world. Uh, what do you think of him? Well, he's he is valuable because he has the skill, all the skill set you would want from a, an elite centre back. Now, uh, apart from maybe being able to tackle Lionel Messi, it, it transpires, but. Um, he just doesn't have any weaknesses to his game. Like he's defensively strong, 
He's positionally strong. He's good on the ball, both at carrying the ball, but also passing the ball. Um, and he's good in the air. <laughs> like just every, there's just not really an area you can point to and say, I'd like to see him improve in this tackle, area. Tackle Lionel Messi. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. But again, that comes with, I think, experience as well. Like there's, there's, there's elements to which that aspect of his game will improve too. He uh, did try. He yeah. did try. Yeah, and he, I mean, he stayed with them fairly well. He just got turned inside out, as, as JJ said. Yeah. But um, there's been plenty of world-class centre-backs who've been turned inside out by Messi before, so I'm sure he's not beating himself up about it. Where does Gvardiol fit best for you? Do you say, well, you know, whose defence has a Gvardiol-shaped hole in it that's perfect? Well, he's a left-sided, left-footed centre-back. So any... I think any team at the elite level who want a, uh, uh, a good on-ball yeah. centre-back who is going to be defensively solid too in that left-hand side, um, you can play him on the outside of the back three. You can play him as a centre-back in a two as well. Yeah. He's played as a full-back Chelsea. and a wing-back. Who've Chelsea got? I mean, Rudiger was their left-sided Fafana. player, wasn't he? They've they've got got Fafana, oh, they bought Fafana. Yeah. And Kukurea. Manchester um, United bought uh, Spurs could Spurs could Martinez. use Vardial. Vardio, sure. yeah, Spurs at Vardio. Um, um, he's going to be expensive, though, so you're, you're limiting yourself to very few clubs. I'm just yeah. thinking, if then if Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United don't need him, Man City seem to be I mean, Arsenal well could stocked. use him, don't get me wrong. Who, is, is it... Um, um, who plays on... Is it Gabriel that plays on the left? Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel. He's been very good. He's the weak point. In he's the one that you would upgrade. Gabriel. Yeah. So well, it depends how long his contract's there. He's so expensive. He's only just arrived, hasn't he? Like 18 months ago? He's at Leipzig just now, isn't he? So, so yeah. So there's, I mean, there was there were stories that he was going to leave. Oh, you're talking about Gvardiol? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was ta- sorry, I was talking about Gabriel. Ah, no, it's to do okay. with his transfer value. So right. the amount he would cost, I'm not sure many teams would want now to spend or or have really a hundred million pounds to spend on a defender, mm. and he could well cost that because of his age and potential ability. So um, it limits a few clubs to them, and then what you'd maybe expect is. Just in maybe three years more, he could easily play for the really massive ones like Real Madrid yeah. or Barcelona who have no money, so maybe not them. Or but, Aberdeen. No, they can't afford him. That's a silly suggestion. Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. So there's a few clubs that could get him. <laughs> I've been told off. They have to have all the money, but not many have it. Yeah. Arsenal don't have that much money to spend. And I they Aberdeen had all this oil money. money. They do, but that, the club doesn't have The club all doesn't. Of it. Man, the club, what, what are they doing? They're they, missing out on that oil money. They're taking efforts to bring all the oil in in a net, but it keeps coming out when uh, they bring it in. Ah, yeah, okay. It's too many holes. They should try a big plastic bag. I think they've done that. They've done that. But they needed more bags. More bags, okay, fine. And oil's well, ruined what's been in the water. For hopefully uh, Aberdeen gets some, some, some more bigger plastic bags. Uh, but that's, that's Gvardiol. I look forward to seeing more of uh, Gvardiol. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Shall we talk now about uh, Morocco? Because, JJ Bull, you think Morocco can win. I do think that. Yes. And I think that because I've watched a lot of them. Yeah. And... The way they play suits any single game in a tournament. Yeah. They're playing France, right? So that's a difficult team to play against. And they will sit in really deep. They will double up in the wide areas where they've shown the ball. So France have to go that way. You can't get through the middle of them. France don't play a high-pressing game and try and turn it over up the pitch. So that's one way they're not going to be able to create chances either. And then all they've got to do is basically grind it out and hope for a chance to break. And they always get them. And then they always build in such a way that they manage to get enough players forward to create a chance out of it. So they have about 31.6% average possession in this tournament, Morocco. Only Costa Rica have had less. But they don't need to have any more because when they do have the ball, they get forward and get chances to score. Uh, they have good players as well. They're not as bad as you think they are because it's Morocco. Like you might just have a... Uh, not prejudice. There was a word. You can't remember what it was the other day. What was the word? There's a word where you're thinking what something is. Predisposition? Oh, I don't know. Something like that. Right, so you think maybe they have that good players, but they have really good players. The problem they've got is they're missing maybe both their main centre backs. That could be an issue because the communication between those two, let alone the technical ability and the way they defended, that's going to be massive. Losing that in there, um, and that would be maybe where like one little mistake here or there. But they'll be so driven, and they've got this perfect momentum. Just like we're talking about that goal that Julian Alvarez scored earlier, where he kind of comes along with the ball and it keeps coming back to his foot as though it's on the you know cell tape to his. Uh, what do you call the thing that goes in your shoe? Not a straw, a lace. Celtic to his lace, so he can like have the ball. Straw. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know what that is in my head. So what I'm trying to say here is that Morocco have that same sort of <laughs> like you know, the ball bounces for them. It's always bouncing for them just now, Morocco. In every game. Yeah, it's no attached to their straws. Yeah, they've yeah. got all they've got all straws and plastic bags yeah. and all nets with holes in it. Yeah. But the ball keeps coming to them, and there's something about them that is making that work. There's something that you can't measure mm. is why I think that I mean, France probably win 4-0 now. But, yeah. yeah. What do you guys think? Um, well, I, I hope Morocco can continue. I just think, um, goodness, it's been a hard road. And if you think about sort of what matters in that side and how important uh, Amrabat is, uh, I, I imagine actually that Amrabat versus Griezmann is going to be really interesting tomorrow because you'd, you'd, you'd think that he would take most responsibility for him, especially when mm. he crossed the halfway line. Um but I think um, I think Naif Aguab might be back tomorrow. I think um, not sure. I think that'll be a game time decision. The centre half. Oh really? Yeah, maybe. Um, I just it was when I was I think it was a hamstring or something. Like apparently that. so, but I, they've given him a chance. Whether that's kind of smoke and mirrors, I'm not sure. But um, supposedly he has a, an opportunity to play. I just think France will be too strong. Mm. Uh, I, I think France will be too strong for Morocco and for Argentina. Uh, I think they're, they're kind of comfortably the best side in the competition, um, just because. Not because of Mbappe, just because of the range of options that can hurt you. It's amazing like how every time France come up in the draw, we talk solely about Mbappe and we ignore Griezmann, we ignore Dembele, we yeah. ignore Giroud. Um, Shumeni's had a great tournament, Rabio's had a great tournament. Uh, and also 
all the players they can bring off the bench to hurt you too. And, uh, you know, you don't talk about someone like Kingsley Coman, for instance. To hurt you too? To hurt me too. What, Bono and the edge? Yeah, yeah. They're going to get done. They are not the sweetest thing, no. John McElgenzi, what does your youthful brain tell us about this game? Well, I've been saying all the way through, I just don't think Morocco are going to make it through the next game and they always have. But I think for me, the concern now is more to do with the players that they're losing. And uh, the fact that, you know, every game they win is a really intense game that means that they're going to be more tired for the next one. I think in the Portugal game, in the first half, they were just magnificent. They were just, t- everything they did, everything was tight. The, the structure was perfect. Their counterattacks were perfect. Whereas in the second half, I think it started getting a bit raggedy. Um, some of the structure broke down. They still didn't give up many chances, so maybe maybe that's not super important. But um, I just think as, as as time goes by, you know, the the intensity of that play style is going to start uh, paying for them. Um, mm. But I think they've got a few players back. Um, there's the possibility that any of those players that we've talked about, so Agued, Masrawi, and um, Saïs, are available in some form or other. Um, so perhaps perhaps not the not as bad as I, I was uh, stating, but it's just I, I just think it's a sort of fairly low high risk strategy because even though I think what they're doing is much more complex than just playing a low block, it's not just about being in a low block; it's about being in a low block and then expanding in the moments when you can go forward, deciding when those moments are, and being able to. Uh, enact those moments in the most dangerous way which i think is what's been so impressive about them really people talk a lot about their defending but it's actually the moments when they decide to attack that i think are quite dangerous but you've also then when you go for those attacks you've got to then fall back into uh, into your defensive structure again afterwards and i think france are going to be the team who will cause them the most problems in terms of being able to hit them quickly if they don't get back into their defensive structure enough they've played Mm. a few teams who i think have been quite patient so for example the spain game uh, Spain would get them, win the ball back, get them into these situations where actually if you transition quickly against them, you'll have probably a little bit more joy. But obviously Spain want to get settled possession and they want to be safe in possession. And so they didn't make the most of those moments. So it felt like that kind of game really um, was went in their favour. And I think Portugal didn't do enough to try and hit them in those moments too. Yeah. It will come down to whether or not France are going to be happy to be like, we've got Kylian Mbappe we can cause them real problems in those moments. But yeah, you never know. I think I thought France were quite conservative when it came to playing against England. They were sort of happy to sit deep and, and, and not go forward too much. So it, it could that could suit, suit Morocco. Hey, I've got a strange question for you. If, if that Portugal side has Giroud um, playing in that role at all the pitch, do you think they beat Morocco? Um, playing in the same way. And because what we criticised them at the time for throwing million crosses into the box and doing the same thing again and again but Giroud offers such a weird like challenge for those centre halves do you think that makes a difference yeah that's a good question because then I guess France obviously do have Giroud so that could could make a difference um but that said I think like Gonzalo Ramos is like obviously not to the level that Giroud is but he's the same kind of player right in that he is going to be a box presence who is going to be able to um cause some problems in the air um but yeah I think that when you fall back into that low block, the issue isn't necessarily generating crosses so much as generating good crosses in mm. uh, because the, their structure is so built around getting double coverage in wide areas. So not committing your wide players forward in in, in uh, pressure moments, but actually having them fall back and making sure you've always got that overload or match up in the wide area to make sure that, that the opposition don't cause problems. Yes. Well, thank you, John, for that. <laughs> 
Sorry, JJ and I were having an exchange in the background. Um, let's have a... Someone called me a buttery-faced, and I was telling JJ that <laughs> because I thought it would make him laugh, and it did. That's all. They said I had a butter face. That's not very nice. It's not that nice, but it's very useful when you're having toast in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Just uh, <laughs> wipe it on the face and uh, chew away. Oh, I don't like that. No. It's weird to wipe bread on your own face. <laughs> well, let's talk about England now. Speaking of wiping bread on your own face, it doesn't it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't actually work, but it sounds like it, it does, doesn't it? Speaking of wiping bread on your own face, let's talk about England now. Uh, there's this kind of there's this conversation. Actually, my instinct is it strikes me as slightly bizarre that it is a conversation. But then when you dig a little bit deeper into it and you note the number of uh, international teams at the World Cup whose manager or coach is also from the of the same nationality as the players. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, the conversation has become around whether or, or not, um, if, if Gareth Southgate were to step down from the job, whether or not the next England manager needs to be English, which seems a strange thing, JJ Bull. Just hire Mourinho. <laughs> Just hire Mourinho. Yeah, I think. There, I can. I understand the, the argument about international football wanting to keep it so it's international um, players and managers. Otherwise, it's just like normal football where you've got all people transferring and stuff like that. But... Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I sort of get it. So you're meant to be up against different nations. What does that even mean? What does it mean if you're from a certain place? Okay. How do you decide it? I used to get all jit from people in school saying like, oh, well, you're not Scottish because uh, your parents are English, you yeah. know? So you you have, get, you, I say that to you at work. You do all the time. Yeah, yeah and I've felt many complaints about it, but yeah. they don't seem to listen. They just say, well, yeah, well, you're not Scottish because you were born there. Yeah. That's the, what they say. The HR department that's what they say, say that to yeah. you as well. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's the thing, right? So, <laughs> so you get... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <coughs> I can't believe it either. Yeah, that's what they do. <coughs> oh, those guys. Mm. Oh, those, those jerks. Wait, so. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. That's a real thing where people say it's where you're born or it's maybe where you think you belong. Like mm. where, and when you decide, maybe you move somewhere when you're six, maybe you escape somewhere <laughs> when you're 10. You escape you adopt, somewhere. Yeah, you mm. should do. Yeah, that's actually very funny, that one, because yeah, you have to no. go somewhere <laughs> yeah. under difficult circumstances. Yeah. And then you go somewhere and you might adopt their place, the, you know, the, the place that you, you go there. So what does it really mean to be from a certain place? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying then you should just be like, well, everyone who lives in England should suddenly be the... The uh, England manager, but also I am saying that because they should make Jose Mourinho the manager if they want mm. to win anything ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jose Mourinho's probably lived in England long enough to qualify well, exactly. for citizenship. Yeah, I don't know. I think the English translation of Jose Mourinho is Joe Brown, I believe. Is it? Yeah. Oh, well, like Maroon, I suppose, isn't it? Mourinho. Maroon. Joe Maroon. Joe Maroon Five. Yeah. What do you think about this, Seb? I just can't believe it's still a topic. It this came up twenty mm. years ago before Sven Goran Eriksson, or longer than that, twenty five years ago, and it was seen as a kind of a necessary step to kind of educate English football, and we must have the sort of expertise from abroad. And and here we are again. And and listening to the debate, it's like watching two people fight with bean bags. It's just clumsy. Mm. It it's just I, I I don't have a position on it either way. I I also um it feels like. The game is is so homogenized um, that yes, you get kind of tactical variety and 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 sort of um, you know uh, different sort of coaching ideologies and, and what have you. But at the same time, what really matters is just communication. And so mm. well, the imperative is just being able to communicate with the players, not necessarily being from a place. Yeah, I just I, I don't feel strongly either way. I don't think. Well, let me switch it up then, right? 
you know how this is a conversation You've about got your where... edgy face on. That makes me nervous. Yeah, That's your controversy. Me, which is yeah. making me even more. He's got nervous. that slight smile, which, which which implies he's going to put you in a difficult position. No, with this not question. a difficult position. A fun position to be in. A fun position because we're sort of talking about places in which people are born, and of course, it, nobody chooses where they're born. But if you chose when you were born, huh? When would you choose? That's fun, isn't it? Yeah, not football, but it's fun. When would you choose Seb Stafford Law? I think. I mean, is it is it uh, when and where? Because those two things, uh, you know, they sure come you together. can extend to where if you want. Um, I don't know. It feels like by answering in any way whatsoever. I'll attract some kind of opprobrium. Don't think I want to answer that. Right. Your attempt to derail the podcast because you've got oh, bored. You, is, oh, you <laughs> think you're worried about what you what what people I, might I say? I don't know because I haven't thought about it enough. Well, so for example, let me say I would love to see the dinosaurs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very frightened. Of but them. would you last? Would I last? You're not a, like you couldn't run away from many of the dinosaurs. Oh, and would you be you right now? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on which ones could I run away from? I, I don't. The slow the ones, dinosaurs. the dead ones, yeah. all the big ones that he trees in the beginning of Jurassic Park. Well, yeah, but Park, no one like... could run away from the big ones. That's what you're talking about. The no, T Rex could run away from the He's not going to just be put in front of a T Rex and told to run. I know, but he's sent to a nice cave. It takes time to find them. It's not like they went everywhere. In that scene where she's hiding in the in the kitchen cabinets at the end of Jurassic Park, they're not cabinets. He couldn't do that, could he? Look at the size of him. I wouldn't fit in. He would live with the dinosaurs. He just punch. <laughs> That's true. You just, you just uh, pop him on the nose. No, he would. Yeah. He would oh, die if he got into sharks, a fight. Yeah. I think his best approach is to befriend the dinosaurs. I could do. I'm a very friendly guy. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, come here, the dinosaur. Come to me. Isn't it you who's always telling me <laughs> the dinosaur? <laughs> you hey? always tell me that dinosaurs had feathers. Yeah, well, no, I told that. you that once. Yeah. No, you told me about five times. No, I really legit. haven't. It was Along once. with the other thing, which is like Greek statues were originally painted and looked I might have worse. told you that twice. You've told me that hundreds no, of times. No, I've told you that once, and I've told the room of people that you were in that once. <laughs> yeah, But dinosaurs did have feathers, and Greek statues were originally coloured. And That, that is true. Like, that it's is funny, true. they all had red yeah. hair and stuff, and they look awful, <laughs> awful. I do love the idea. That and the like entire modern history of art is based on a concept that's just accidentally happened. <laughs> Coming back to this question of like when you'd like to be born, isn't it just a reality that, but for about the last hundred years, whatever time you choose, you'd probably die in yeah, childbirth it's bad. anyway. Yeah, come on, oh, you can't have fun in a room back. like this, can you? <laughs> Honestly, all the people I know, I, I can't ever have fun. I have to ask a question. They go, "Oh, what? What about polio?" Just, you know, you it's need like, to come be on, more, guys. You need to be more creative. What do you want to see, John? <laughs> just what do you want to see? No, you want to see or. something cool mm-hmm. from history. You want to see something cool? You could go back and be born, so you could see Maradona score a goal. You'd like that, wouldn't you? But if I, but if I went back to when Maradona, okay, was playing, let's change the, the question. Eighties when you can I was go definitely back, not alive. You go back for an hour just okay. to see, and then you come back here. I would like to go back for an hour to watch Maradona play. There, are you happy now? <laughs> no, are you I'm, happy? I'm less happy than I was before you answered, JJ Paul. Just going back for an hour now, not to be born in the I'm new place. I'm just going back for an hour to see any moment in history. Any moment in history. And uh, am I there as I am now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. Right now, like, as in, as soon as you finish saying what you're about to say, you're transported. I'm not trying to add more questions into it, but yeah. I'm going to anyway. Mm. Am I? Uh, am I really there, or am I watching it? No, you can be killed there. Yeah. So I can be killed. Oh, no, you can be hurt and damaged. Yeah. And so, do I land somewhere where I am? Say, I wanted to watch, for example, a mm. T-Rex and a Velociraptor have a fight, like in. Jurassic Park. Yeah. 
would I be in a safe position up a tree? Do you mean like in Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, when they has somehow have that ingenious system of pulleys that enables them to be above the trees? Uh, I guess that was what that? I mean, yeah. How does that work? Yeah. How, are they, how are they wired above the trees? Surely it's only a tree you could, you know, unless there's a bigger tree. Well, they're tree. going to have tree houses into the sky. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. What? Do you not remember in, in Jurassic Park episode two, yeah. there's the bit uh, where just before uh, the poor the poor chap <laughs> gets murdered by a dinosaur. Eaten. <laughs> we can't murder dinosaurs. can't murder. Ethical Can they? quandary. I don't well, know. I don't I don't know. They if, can, they, yeah. if they had dinosaur courts, maybe. What they do is they have a safety scenario where they all jump into this little metal cage and then it gets it gets um it soars up up and up and up it yeets up in the air safety yeets up into the air it's safe out of the way and then they look down over the side and they can see it's when ian malcolm takes the uh, thing Dr. off the ian malcolm, Dr. Ian malcolm. he sort of abseils down off the side and he says i'll be i'll be right back you know and goes down uh, and they're looking down and they see the dinosaur coming and they can see all the ruffling of the trees from above very scary but my question is, what are they hooked onto? They're above the canopy. What's above the canopy? It's the spider cam that runs across it. The spider cam. Yeah, yeah it runs all yeah. across the island. Makes so sense. they can go across But you're it. fun at parties. I am fun at That's parties. That's what people say yeah. to me a lot. I've never yeah. actually said it to anyone else. People have always said that to me, but um, I don't get invited enough <laughs> to, uh, to really prove it, yeah. you know? You had a conversation with yourself outside my party. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> Did you tell them about that. dinosaurs having feathers and Probably, yeah. statues having red right, himself, hair? Yeah, I, told myself, started, yeah. I told myself, yeah. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Um, let's uh, quickly play Points Are Bad and then all go home. <laughs> um, now, of course, I've got stuff to tell you today because Argentina beat Croatia 3-0 on this day. And that means that the results mm. are as follows. John and JJ joint last place. With three points added each. Because, of course, John, you suggested a one-all. And JJ, you suggested a nil-nil. Incredible mm. that you've managed to gain the same number of points. Very odd. Yeah, mine is closer. Yours to is, well, te- technically it's not. Because it's uh, still three still three points there. Now, Seb, you and me ah. winning together. There it is. A little high five. We got two points each. I said a 2-1. You said a 1-0. Again, kind of weird that it's the same, but it is the same. This game is stupid. Now, let's pick for tomorrow, Morocco-France, and then we'll go on to discuss the grand totals. I I got lost in the middle of my sentence there. Now, John, you'll be going first today for Morocco versus France. I will say France 2, Morocco 0. So that's 0-2. And before everyone hates me, I'm doing this for purely gamesmanship reasons because I need to get back into the race. Yeah, I mean, it's worth, we'll talk about that in a second, but it's worth saying that there really are only three chances left for you to get back into the race. Well, but I'm we'll, still going to try and take those chances. We'll come to discuss it after JJ Bull has given his prediction. Morocco first, then France. 1-0 Morocco. 1-0 Morocco. JJ Bull realising that he must take a risk. In order yes, to reclaim, to come last. That's right, to come last. Yes, yes. Seb Stafford Bloor, uh, you will go uh, last, so I'll go next, and I will <laughs> say I think this game is going to be the best game of the tournament, and it's going to be four-one France. Wow, that's what I'm that's going good. for. Now, Seb Stafford Bloor, Morocco first, France second, please. I will say one-three France. Oh, you've kind of just taken mine, but. 
taken one off it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. gamesmanship there knows how to stay in head. Well, in if head. anyone's going to win, it's not me. I'd like it to be Seb. Yeah. But as long as Joe doesn't win, I'm happy. It's very interesting, isn't it, how JJ's narrative changes all the way throughout because he wasn't trying before and now he wants Seb to win, which is very convenient because Seb currently is winning. <laughs> Seb is in first place. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll start from the back. Kind of spoiled it there. Do we know the, the, no, no, no. <laughs> with, the, the, song, no? the thing is, that with oh, the song, yeah, let's listen to the song now. Can yeah. we play the song, Jamie? He, Jamie shrugs, so let's find out if we can or not. Let's uh, all have headphones on. Oh, yes. And we can enjoy the song when producer J- Jamie's ready to go. Points bad. They're really, really bad. Points good. They're really bad. Points bad. They're really, really bad. We don't want the points because they're really, really bad. Points bad. They're really, really bad. Points right they are bad thank you to band summers for that version of the song and thanks again it's been an amazing addition to the, uh, really to the world cup that i mean also an amazing addition from tom hawkins the, uh, the the spreadsheet for points of bad yes indeed. thank you to tom and van right there they helped me Lovely especially job. when i had to host it oh thing. absolutely yeah. would have been very difficult for you otherwise, yes it? it's especially <laughs> difficult uh, now listen uh 146 points that's me in last place nothing to lose really because i'm i have everything to lose John, you are in third place with 137 points. JJ Bull. Yeah. You are in second place. Oh, good. With 134 points. Yeah. But all the way out in front is Sebastian Halford's floor with 130 points. Now, John, I'd say it's a stretch too far for you now. Well, it, I can catch JJ up because there's only three points in it. And if the game goes the way I said, then I will catch him up. And if Morocco do win 1-0 tomorrow, <laughs> what do you have again? 3-1 three three one. One France. It, it, well, theoretically, yeah. that would just be three, three points. points. So he would still be ahead. By one. By, By one. And yeah, then I would win the next game as well. Yeah. Uh, whereas, John, if you were to be correct and, and JJ was wrong, then JJ would add three points and you would add zero and you would be even. Yes. Now, There's if still I was to, play to be correct, yes, uh, then uh, then you would be adding three, and JJ would be adding four, and I would be still last. <laughs> <laughs> England five nil France really did not help me out. Uh, okay, cool. Well, there we go. I think we're edging closer to uh, a Seb Stafford Bloor, uh, uh, a first ever inaugural victory. Uh, I'm sure we'll all be pleased and proud of our friend if that is the case. But we will see because, of course, there is the the the, the runners-up game, the best of three to uh, to the best of three, the third place playoff to go. So three games left, all to play for. It is mathematically possible. Goodbye. <laughs>